بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لتبلغن surely you will definitely be tested في أموالكم in your wealth وأنفسكم and yourselves ولتسمعن and surely you will definitely have to hear من الذين أوتوا الكتاب من قبلكم from those people who were given the book before you ومن الذين أشركوا and from those people who do shirk أذن كثيرا much hurt Allah tells us two things over here first of all that you will definitely be tested and secondly that you will hear a lot of hurtful things from people لَتُبُلَوُنَّ This is from ibtila, From the root letters ba, lam, waw. And what does ibtila mean? Ikhtibar. To test something, to try someone in order to know, in order to find out what their reality is. What their true status is. What are they on the inside? Because something may appear to be very good, but when you test it, why do you test it? To see what is its worth? What is inside? What is its reality? So لَتُبُلَوُنَّ You will definitely be tested. And Allah tests us in two ways. Through good and also through evil. وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ fitna. That we test you through evil and also through good. Tests come in both forms. In the form of something that we do not like and also in the form of something that we like. Something that harms us and something that benefits us. Something that we dislike and something that we enjoy in both forms. This is the reason why Sulaiman salam, what did he say? هَذَا مِنْ فَضْلِ This is of the fadl, the grace of my Lord on me. And he's testing me whether I am grateful or am I ungrateful. Because if you think about it, a person is constantly in one of two states. He's constantly revolving between two states. One state is that in which he is happy. That in which he receives something that he enjoys, that he likes. And the other state is the opposite of that. When a person is unhappy, when he is hurt. So either you're happy or you're unhappy. Either you're having a good time You're okay, you're fine, you're content, you're satisfied, or you are unsatisfied. Isn't that so? And even when a person is in a neutral state, still he is either inclined more towards happiness and contentment, or he is inclined towards loneliness and sadness. Okay, So you're constantly revolving between these two states, good or bad. And when a person is in a good state, then what is the test? That is he being grateful? Is he remembering Allah? Is he doing what he should do? And when a person is in a state where he's suffering, no matter how much suffering that is, a little or a lot, then what is the test? That is he being patient? Does he still entertain positive thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And this is something that we learn in a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said that amazing is the case of the believer. All of his affairs are good. If he is struck by some difficulty, he is patient and that is good for him. And if something good reaches him, then he is grateful and that is good for him. And this is only for who? For the believer. So, لَتُبْلَوُنَّ You will definitely be tested through good and also through evil. 
Allah is testing you whether you are grateful or you forget Him. Whether you are patient or you are impatient. Because at the end of the day, what is this life about? What is this life about? Why did Allah create us? To test us. خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ He created death and life so that He may test you. That which of you are good in your deeds. So you will definitely be tested. This will happen. And how will you be tested? In two things for sure. And what are they? First of all, fi amwalikum, in your wealth. And secondly, wa anfusikum, in yourselves. Amwal is a plural of mal. And it includes all of the possessions that a person has. Whether it is things that he really likes or does not like, whether they're very valuable or they're not valuable, things that a person has earned himself or they were gifted to him, whatever. Mal is a person's possessions. So you will be tested in your wealth. How? When a person has a lot of wealth, okay, more than what he needs, more than what he can do by, then that in itself is a fitna. What do we learn in the Qur'an? That إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ fitna. Indeed your wealth and your children, what are they? A test. Why? Because it's very easy to forget Allah. It's very easy to forget other people. It's very easy to become selfish at this time. To become negligent of one's duty to Allah. Of one's duty to others. And also a person is tested in his wealth how? That sometimes he loses what he likes. Sometimes what he likes breaks. Or other people take it away from him. So this test will definitely come in your life. وَأَنفُسِكُمْ And you will also be tested in yourselves. Anfus is a plural of nafs. And what does this mean? That you'll be tested in your own lives, in your own bodies. And remember that the word anfus does not just apply to a person's own self, but also the community, also the family. Because your children are a part of you. Your spouse, your parents, your relatives are of you. Your brothers and sisters in religion, what are they? Of you. They are a part of you. So you will be tested at a personal level, at an individual level, and also at a greater level. So in your own body, first of all, you will suffer many tests. Where you will suffer from headaches, you will suffer from illnesses, you will suffer from fatigue, you will suffer from wounds, from burns, from cuts. These things will come in life. They will happen in life. You will experience emotional distress, mental distress, mental pain. You will experience suffering in your soul. This is something that will happen in life. You will experience this. And secondly, anfus, it refers to your children. You'll be tested through your children. Where you will see your children suffering. Or your spouse. You will see your family suffering. Because even though when your child is hurting, your body is completely fine. But if your child is hurting, then you also are hurting. If your mother is in pain, you are in pain. If your sister is in distress, you are in distress. If your father is in stress, you are stressed as well. Because those who are close to you, what they suffer affects you. So لَتُبْلَوُنَّ in this manner as well. وَأَنفُسِكُمْ Moreover, وَلَا تَسْمَعُنَّ And you will definitely hear from Samr, سَيْنْ مِي مَعِينَ What will you hear? From who? مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ First of all, from those people who were given the book before you. And who are they? 
the Jews and the Christians. And secondly, وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا And from those people who do shirk, so the polytheists. So from both of these groups, you will have to hear أَذَن kathira. What does أَذَن mean? Hurt, pain, suffering that is experienced by a living being. It's not just physical hurt, it's also emotional distress. And أَذَن Kathira, a lot, much. Meaning, you will hear a lot of hurtful statements from them. You will hear words from them that will hurt you, that will offend you, that will distress you. Whether it is in the form of mockery of the deen, whether it is in the form of insulting the religion, or insulting you, or falsely accusing you for something that you have never done, you will hear such things. Whether it is something that they will say against Allah, against the Messenger, against the Deen, against the Muslims, against the Quran, you will continue to hear these things from the people of the book and also from the mushrikeen. Words that will hurt you. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ was also not spared. The mushrikeen of Makkah, what did they call him? Any kind of evil description, they gave that to him. Whether it was Sha'ir, a poet, that they said he's just a poet, this Qur'an is all poetry, or a magician, Sahir, they called him all sorts of words to insult him, to hurt him. So he hears hurtful statements from them. And sometimes it happens with us that we hear words from people that they say only because of our deen. And they hurt us. You know, the physical wounds that you experience in your body, eventually they go away. But if someone has said hurtful statements to you, they really hurt you and the pain does not go away. So what's the solution? If you're patient, over what? Over what they make you hear, over what they say to you, over what they do to you. And you fear Allah. Meaning you fear Allah in the way that you respond to them. Because when they say hurtful statements, you may want to say more hurtful statements to them. Isn't it so? If somebody says something nasty to us, we want to say more to them. If somebody says something, we want to go and hurt them physically. Somebody writes something and we want to go and bomb their embassy or kill their people. Isn't this what people do today? Isn't this what we Muslims do today? That we hear hurtful statements from people and many of those hurtful statements are based on pure ignorance. But what does Allah say? تَتَّقُوا Fear Allah in the way that you react. Yes, you are hurt, you are offended, you are angry, but it does not mean you do whatever you want in order to take revenge. No. Because if you do more, then you will be the zalim, you will be the one who is unjust. You will be the one who is held responsible before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, وَتَتَّقُوا You have to fear Allah in regards to your reaction. فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ Then indeed that, مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ It is from those matters which require determination. Azm. What does azm mean? Determination. Firm will. Firm resolve to do something. And al-umur is a plural of and azm al-umur, azm over here gives the meaning of marzumat, meaning it is of those matters that require azm, 
sabr and taqwa at these times when you're suffering in your body when you're suffering in your wealth when you have heard nasty things from someone sabr and taqwa at this time is what something for which you need a lot of determination meaning you have to make yourself be patient you have to make yourself fear allah it doesn't come easily it doesn't come naturally you have to make yourself do sabr you have to make yourself have taqwa because if a person does not have this determination to be patient at this time then he will say things that he will regret over later he will do things that will bring about more trouble subhanallah she's saying that once somebody said something very nasty with regards to her hijab and at that time she wanted to show her anger say something but her daughter held her hand that mummy be quiet don't say anything and then when she got home she opened up the quran and this is the ayah that she found right that you have to control yourself at that time inna dhalika min azmil umur because we think that just because we know we have to be patient at the time when we have to be patient sabr should come naturally huh and when it doesn't come naturally later on we say oh i'm so evil i'm so this i'm so that my knowledge is not beneficial to me at all i should stop learning because this is going to be an argument against me not for me so really i should stop learning no you have to make yourself do sabr you have to stop yourself at that time you have to stop yourself from reacting negatively from saying something that you should not say so fa inna dhalika min azmil umur and we see that azm in umur this is something that is a very praiseworthy trait by which the most complete and perfect of human beings are described in the quran who are those human beings the prophets of allah and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala advised muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that fasbir kama sabara ulul azmi min ar-rusul be patient just as those of determination from among the messengers they were patient because think about it when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was in makkah So many times the sahaba they asked him that please allow us to take revenge from these people who are inflicting torture on us allow us to defend ourselves to take some kind of revenge but what did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam tell them no sabr 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 think about it when the sahaba were being persecuted in makkah when they would be humiliated in public when their wealth when their properties their families were in danger when their own lives were in danger even at that time they were told be patient why because being patient most of the time is beneficial for a person in fact every time is beneficial for a person we see that when someone is saying something to us or hurting us harming us there's two ways to react One is that you show what you're feeling. And the other is that you just remain silent, you ignore the situation, you avoid the situation. Okay? What's the benefit of the first reaction that you show your feelings? Is it going to solve the problem? Is it going to worsen the problem? It's going to worsen the problem. I'm not saying that don't show your disapproval. You could do that. You can communicate nicely. but speaking with anger speaking with emotion following your desire in the way that you're reacting this is only going to add fuel to the fire it's only going to worsen the problem and we see this that where we don't react in the correct way 
the problems are worsened for Muslims at individual level and also at a greater level. And on the other hand, when silence is adopted, then what happens? You're able to think properly. You're able to deal with the situation in a logical way, in a far more effective way. If you get angry over what someone has said concerning hijab and throw stones on their building, what's going to happen? You could be prosecuted. You could be jailed for harming somebody else's property. Right? And on the other hand, if you used your logic, calmed down at that time, and spoke to the person who said something negative, wrote to them, made them aware of how hurt you're feeling, you teach them as well, you educate them of their mistakes, then this is going to lead to a much better solution. This is actually going to solve the problem. And remember, haters will hate. Okay? Haters will always hate. It doesn't matter how you react. You could yell at them and you could talk to them in the most civilized manner. But those who don't want to listen will not listen. So why should you waste your good deeds? Why should you lower yourself? Why should you disobey Allah in showing your disapproval? So just because someone else is being evil doesn't mean you become evil. Just because someone else is behaving ignorantly, it doesn't mean that we behave ignorantly. So the solution is what? Sabr and taqwa. Sabr and taqwa when we hear nasty things. Sabr and taqwa when we suffer in our lives and in our properties. But unfortunately, many times the reaction is negative. That we get a cut, we get a burn, and instantly we start cursing. Instantly we start complaining. And those complaints, they do not end. The cut will be gone, the bruise will be gone. But we're still complaining. We're still talking negatively in that manner. So, sabr and taqwa is a solution. And this is a fact of life. That tests will come. You see, every person, regardless of the level of their faith, whether it is high or low or average, regardless of their gender, regardless of their age, even a newborn who's barely lived an hour or two, is he not tested in his body? Yes. A child who's a week old, is he not circumcised? Does he not cry? He does, right? So it doesn't matter who you are. When you're a human being, you will suffer in life. Why? Because Allah is checking you. What are you on the inside? What are you? What do you deserve? Because Jannah is not cheap. It's not a cheap place. To get there, you really have to prove yourself worthy. And according to your level, you will be placed in Jannah. So the more patience you display, the more taqwa you display, the higher you will be. And the less sabr and the less taqwa we display, the lower we will be. So it's a very good solution that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving to us. And in the ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ This is something that requires determination, meaning you have to make up your mind to be patient. You have to tell yourself that I have to fear Allah in this regard. And sometimes it happens that the tests that we're suffering are coming through people. And sometimes those who are very close to us or those whom we cannot take revenge from, those whom we are supposed to respect. For example, if your own mother, if your own mother is yelling at you or nagging you, you know, telling you to do something repeatedly and you're getting irritated, still, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that you have to do? Sabr. 
Right? This is why Allah says in the Quran, فَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفْفٍ Don't even say uff to them. وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا Don't rebuke them. This is sabr. This is taqwa. For that you need determination. And that is the best solution. Because your answering back, your yelling in return, is it going to benefit? It's not going to benefit at all. Is it going to better the situation? Never. It's going to worsen the situation. So sabr and taqwa, two things that lead to success. And for that, you have to make up your mind that you want to do it. وَإِذْ أَخَذَ اللَّهُ And recall when Allah took مِثَاقَ الَّذِينَ The covenant of those people who? Which people? Who were utul kitab, who were given the book. What is mithaq? Mithaq is a covenant. It's derived from the word wathaq, which is used for a rope. Okay? Meaning when a person is tied up. So it's such a covenant that ties a person up. Meaning that binds a person. Okay? That binds a person. Meaning that obligation is tied to him. He cannot avoid it. He cannot escape it. He has to do it. I read a story to my son recently about this girl who has a wheelchair and um, she drives really fast on the road. Okay, And the police officer, he stops her and gives her a hundred dollar ticket and ties it to her hand and tells her to go home. So when she gets home, her mother asks her, that, what is this ticket on your hand? Right? So when something is tied to you, then can you get away with it? You can't get away with it. When something is written in your record, can you get away with it? Never. So mithaq is such a covenant that you are obligated to do, you cannot get away from it. You have to fulfill it. You have to do it. So Allah took this mithaq from who? Alladina utul kitab. From the people who were given the book, meaning the Jews and the Christians, a pledge was taken from them. What? That لَتُبَيِّنُنَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ Surely you will definitely make it clear to the people. لَتُبَيِّنُنَّهُ From the root letters, بَيَانُونَ From the word bayan, which is to make clear, to clarify. So you will clarify to the people, وَلَا تَكْتُمُونَهُ And you will not conceal it. What? What will you clarify to the people? And what will you not conceal? The scripture. The book. The scripture that has been given to you. That you're not just going to keep it with yourself. You have to clarify it to others. You have to tell others about it too. You have to teach others this book as well. And you are not allowed to conceal it. Neither part of it, nor all of it. When you have to clarify something, that means you have to clarify all of it. When you have to deliver something, that means you have to deliver all of it. You know, everything, the whole thing, with all of its contents. So, they were commanded to convey the entire book to the people. That when something is mentioned in the book, it should not be concealed. وَلَا تَكْتُمُونَهُ and taktumunahu from kitman, kaf, tamim, katama, to conceal. Concealing is done in two ways. First is ikhfa, to literally hide something. So for example, if there is a part of the book, you know, a few pages, they are taken away. And they're put away. There is a scroll, it's put away. A document, a booklet, it is put away. It's hidden. So that people don't even know that it exists. 
people never find out about its existence. And secondly, kitman is done by tahrif, by alteration, by distortion. Because when a text is distorted, when it's corrupted, then the original meaning, the original message, isn't it hidden? It's hidden. Isn't it lost? It's lost. So they were told, you're not allowed to conceal the book, neither part of it nor all of it. And this includes the description of Muhammad wasallam. This includes the obligations that were imposed on them. وَلَا تَكْتُمُونَهُ But what was their reaction? فَنَبَذُوهُ But they threw it. Through what? This covenant, this mithaq, nabadu, from the root letters, noon bada. And nabada is to throw something, okay, without ascribing any importance to that thing. When something is not important at all, then what do you do? You toss it away, like a piece of garbage. And nabaduhu, they threw it where? Wara'a zuhurihim, behind their backs. Zuhur plural of zahar. When you throw something behind your back, means you're not interested in it at all. It means you don't give any value to it. You don't give any importance to it. It's useless before you. It doesn't carry any meaning in front of you. So they threw the covenant behind their backs. And this shows how they turned away from what Allah imposed on them. How they rejected what Allah obligated them to do. فَنَبَذُوهُ وَرَاءَ ظُهُورِهِمْ They forgot it. And instead, وَاشْتَرَوْ بِهِ They purchased for it, meaning in exchange for it, they took ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا A small price, a small gain, a small value. And what was that? The gain of this dunya. Worldly benefits. Because worldly benefits, no matter how many they are, no matter how much they are, at the end of the day, what are they? قَلِيل Little, few. Why? Because the time that you enjoy it for is very little. Even if it's 80 years, isn't that little? It is. Because thousand years also exist. Hundred thousand years, eternity, there is eternity, right? So 80 years compared to eternity, what is it? Nothing. It's very, very little. And qaleel also in its quantity. That no matter what a person enjoys in this world, ultimately it is little. It is little enjoyment. Because it is not permanent. In its quality. Because no matter what a person enjoys, still he suffers pain. Still he suffers tests. So ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا فَبِئْسَ مَا يَشْتَرُونَ So how evil is that which they purchased? Meaning what they took in exchange for the covenant that they gave up. The responsibility that they disregarded. Now what was petty price? This worldly gain that they wanted instead of fulfilling their responsibility. We know that when Muhammad wasallam came. The Jews and the Christians, we have learned about the Christians of Najran in Surah Al-Imran only. We learned about it in great detail. We have learned about the Yahud as well. That to them, the signs of the Prophet wasallam were very clear. The evidences that he gave were also very logical. The evidences revealed in the Qur'an, the answers to their questions given in the Qur'an also made a lot of sense. But yet despite that, when they rejected it, clearly shows that there was something else that they preferred. And what was it that they preferred? This dunya. Because if they accepted Muhammad ﷺ, that would mean that this whole tradition that they have been following, that they have been observing for centuries, is now useless. 
you know, this hierarchy that they have in their religious figures, all of them would mean nothing. A person who has absolute authority would have no authority. A person who can forgive other people's sins will all of a sudden not be able to forgive people for their sins. Right? A person who can declare others to be innocent, all of a sudden will have no authority left. So basically, they would lose out on a lot of worldly benefits. And this whole structure that they had been enjoying for centuries would now be lost, would now be gone, would now be meaningless. And most importantly, it would mean that they would accept they were wrong. And this is something very difficult for people to do. You know, Hiraql, the Roman king, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, Imam Bukhari has quoted this hadith in great detail in Sahih Bukhari. And in that we learn that the Prophet ﷺ, he sent the letter to Hiraql. And Hiraql, he heard the letter, and in it was the verse that, يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Then, Hiraql, he also sent for a group of mushrikeen who were visiting that area from Makkah. They were still mushrik. They had come from Makkah. So Hiraql, he called for them, he sent for them. And they were brought in the court. And Hiraql asked them a number of questions. A number of questions about Muhammad wasallam, About the message that he brought. About the people who follow him. About what he commands. About whether or not he had fought any battles with the mushrikeen. And he was given all those answers and every answer seemed as if he was drawing closer to Islam. And he wanted to accept. But what happened? That the priests over there in that gathering, there was such an uproar from them that he had to send the group of mushrikeen out in order to calm them down. At another occasion, he had the gates of the palace locked so that no one could escape. All the doors locked. And he had called all of his main chiefs inside and discussed with them about whether or not they should accept Muhammad ﷺ. But the final decision was no, because the people were not supporting him. So even though he recognized it to be the truth, he saw it to be the truth, he testified with his own mouth, the words that he said clearly show that he knew. But why did he not believe and profess his faith? Out of the fear of losing his people's support. Out of the fear of losing his people's support. This was the main reason. Samanan Qalila. And this is just one person. There are many, many people that exist like this. Even the Yahud. What was it that they were not willing to give up? Their ego. The high status that they enjoyed. They were knowledgeable. And these Arabs were the illiterates. For them to accept an illiterate prophet was like humiliating themselves. They rather preferred the worldly prestige and honor. So, ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا Allah says, فَبِئْسَ مَا يَشْتَرُونَ How evil is that which they have taken? So what do we learn in this ayah? First of all, we see that the people of knowledge... When Allah gives a person knowledge, then he is obligated. He has entered into a contract with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he will not just benefit from that knowledge himself, but that he will also convey it to others. He will also clarify it to others. And this is true for every single one of us sitting in this room. When we are seeking the knowledge of the deen, remember, 
This is something that we're not doing just for ourselves. When you learn, then you're obligated with the responsibility to convey, to pass on. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? بَلِّغُ anni walaw ayah. Convey from me, even if it's one ayah, meaning even if it's one ayah that you've learned, you're obligated to convey it. The people of the book, they were given the book, and they were told, you will convey this, and you will not hide it. You will not conceal it. And if a person feels that they're not confident enough to convey it, to pass it on, then what's the solution? Remain silent? Conceal the knowledge? These lovely notes that you've written, put them away, close them and put them away? Is that the solution? Because I'm not confident, so I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to put them away. Isn't that hiding the knowledge? It's hiding the knowledge. What's the solution then? But if you're not confident, then strive harder. Learn more. Pay more attention. Study harder. Seek answers. When you don't understand something, find the explanation. When something is complicated, find the answer. Seek help. This is a solution. Not shutting the books and putting them away, but that a person increases in their knowledge, keeps growing in their knowledge, so that they can fulfill their responsibility. The Ahlul Kitab, what did they do? نَبَذُوهُ وَرَاءَ ظُهُورِهِمْ They threw it behind their backs. They just put it away. They're like, we're not going to do it. And our attitude should not be like that. And remember that conveying knowledge does not just mean standing in front of a class and lecturing. No. This is perhaps one of the most easiest things to do. Honestly. This is not rocket science. Yes, through one's actions. But not just that. Using the pen, writing something. Because what you've spoken will be forgotten. Right? What I'm telling you right now, you're not going to remember what I've said to you tomorrow. But if there's something that is written and you read what is written, then that you can convey very easily. Through that, you are really imparting knowledge. So when Allah has given you the blessing of studying English and language and literature and writing, whether it is in high school or in university, then you should use that skill to write good things so that you can tell others about it. Because if you don't, then what are you doing? You're falling short in your obligation. You're not fulfilling a commitment that you've made with Allah. And in this ayah, we also learn about the warning against concealing knowledge. Because the people of the book were told very clearly, you must not conceal their ilm. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَن سُئِلَ عَنْ عِلْمٍ فَكَتَمَهُ أُلْجِمَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ بِلِجَامٍ مِنْ نَارِ That a person who is asked about knowledge, he's asked something, he knows the answer, yet he does not answer, he does not give that knowledge. Then on the day of judgment, he will be tied with a brittle of fire. Like a horse or a camel is tied with a brittle, he will be brittled with what? With fire on the day of judgment. He kept his mouth shut when he knew the answer, when he could benefit others. On the day of judgment, his mouth will be made shut with fire. And this is the reason why we see that the scholars of Islam, no matter how difficult it was for them to speak the truth, they spoke the truth. 
Because concealing knowledge is a crime. That people do not know, they are unaware, you know, and you're keeping that knowledge on the inside. You're hiding it. Why is it a crime? Because of your negligence, other people could end up in the fire of hell. Other people could suffer greatly. So in this ayah is a great reminder that we correct our intentions, we strive harder, and we do something with the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving to us. And remember, only convey what you know. What you don't know, you're not supposed to make it up. Okay? And you better not make it up. What you don't know, say I don't know. But what you know, you have to convey. The most difficult task is to speak up when people are doing something wrong. But you are obligated to tell them, directly or indirectly. And use wisdom. Ask Allah's help to give you the strength to talk to them. You know, just like Abdullah bin Salam, when he embraced Islam, what did he do? It is said that in a place where he was hiding, and the rest of the Yahud, they were called. Okay, So the Yahud, they didn't know that Abdullah bin Salam was there. And the Yahud were asked, what is your opinion concerning Abdullah bin Salam? What kind of a man do you think he is? And they praised him, and they showed a lot of respect to him. And whatever he does, he is good. And whatever decision he makes, we support him. And if he advises us, we accept. And then Abdullah bin Salam, he came and he expressed his Islam to them. And at that time, they turned against him. But anyway, we see that hikmah was used over here. right? So that the truth can be conveyed in the most effective way. You struggle with not being authentic enough. You doubt yourself that what if I make a mistake in conveying? Again, what's the solution? Equip yourself with knowledge. Strengthen your knowledge. The ilm that Allah has given you, strengthen that. You know, this is why when we're learning, we should do our best. When you're doing your lesson, do it seven times. When you don't understand something, ask a question and get an answer. When something's complicated, try to figure it out. Don't just pass on and move on. Because at the end then you'll have just confusion in your head. And you don't want confusion. You want knowledge. You want facts. And ask Allah to help you. You know, say the best thing. Give the best answer. Rely upon Him and not your knowledge. Recitation. لَتُبْلَوُنَّ فِي أَمْوَالِكُمْ وَأَنفُسِكُمْ وَلَتَسْمَعُنَّ مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا أَذًا كَثِيرًا وَإِن تَصْبِرُوا وَتَتَّقُوا فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ وَإِذْ أَخَذَ اللَّهُ مِيثَاقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ لَتُبَيِّنُنَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ وَلَا تَكْتُمُونَهُ فَنَبَذُوهُ فَنَبَذُوهُ وَرَاءَ ظُهُورِهِمْ وَاشْتَغَوْا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا فَبِئْسَ مَا يَشْتَرُونَ لا تحسبن الذين يفرحون And never think that those people who rejoice over what? بما أتوا Over what they have perpetrated 
وَيُحِبُّونَ أَن يُحْمَدُوا بِمَا لَمْ يَفْعَلُوا And they love to be praised for what they do not do. Such people, فَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّهُمْ Never ever think concerning them. بِمَفَازَةٍ مِّنَ الْعَذَابِ That they are safe from punishment. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ For them is a painful punishment. لَا تَحْسَبَنَّ From حَاسِينَ بَا means you. So you, O listener, should never ever think that those people who are described in this ayah are what? They are safe from punishment. No. For such people is a severe, a painful punishment. For who? الَّذِينَ يَفْرَحُونَ Those who rejoice, who are very happy about what? بِمَا أَتَوْ About what they have done. Over the actions that they have committed. Yafrahuna is from farh. And farh is happiness. Farihina, we have learned earlier, bima atahumullahu min fadli, the shuhada. And farh is the opposite of huzn, it's the opposite of grief. It is to be happy upon receiving some blessing. You receive something, you gain something, so because of that you're very happy. But there are two kinds of happiness. One is farhul qalb, the happiness of the heart. You know, when a person is truly happy, he's rejoicing, he is grateful in his heart. Okay? And this is something good. Because it leads to gratitude. And the other is, farhun nafs. The farh, the rejoicing of the nafs, of the soul. And what does that mean? That is when a person begins to show off, when a person, you know, can stay within his skin, and he's just boasting and he's walking in arrogantly, he's showing off what he has, he just can't keep the happiness within him. Okay, so there are two kinds of happiness. Over here obviously, it gives a negative meaning. Okay, which is a second kind. So they are rejoicing, they're just celebrating, they're excited, they're joyful, they're not grateful, they're very happy about what? Bima atau. Over that which atau. Atau from the root letters Hamza Taya, it means to come. So bima atau, that which they have come with, meaning that which they have done. Meaning the actions that they have performed. Meaning they do only a little bit of good deeds, small things, and they get overjoyed because of that. And those deeds are apparently righteous, but they're actually done with insincerity. They're done with riyah. Like for example, a person is giving five dollars in charity and he looks around. You know, he has that $5 note in his hand and he's you know, going around like $5 in charity. He puts it in the box and you know, gives himself a pat on the shoulder. This is what? يَفْرَحُونَ bima أَتَوْ I mean, come on. First of all, what are you giving? And yes, it doesn't matter how little amount a person gives in charity. I mean, how are you doing it? You're boasting, you're showing off. You're doing something so little and you think as if you have done so much. You understand? And yes, when a person does very little for the sake of Allah, when it's done with sincerity, it's worth a lot. But when it's done with insincerity, then it's useless. And it's something that a person should never feel happy or proud about. Right? Like for example, the munafiqeen at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the hypocrites, what would they do? They would pray a little bit here or there, okay, just to show that they were Muslim. They would say things, they would say words of support to the Prophet ﷺ, just verbally on the outside. And just because of their statements, they would think that, you know, we're so good. Just because of what they would say, they would think we're so good. 
We're so honest. We're so righteous. We're so supportive. You know, we are good. We're the best. You know, I'm the best. That kind of attitude. So, يَفْرَحُونَ بِمَا أَتَوْ Secondly, يَفْرَحُونَ بِمَا أَتَوْ It refers to the sins that they have committed. That they're happy about the wrong that they have done. Over the evil actions that they have perpetrated. Like for example, they would not accompany the Prophet ﷺ in his expeditions. And when he would return, they would go and present false excuses. I was so busy. And you know, there was just so much to do. False excuses. Whereas in reality, they had the time, they had the ability, but they wouldn't go. Oh, we didn't know how to fight. We didn't even know there was a battle. We never expected that this would happen. False excuses. And when they would get away with it, they'd be so happy. Yes! The Prophet ﷺ is not angry with us anymore. We fooled him. We deceived him. You know, we're fooling all the Muslims. This is just like a person cheats on a test, and then they pass. They're like, yeah, got it. A person does not submit the assignment on time and then goes and tells a long false story to the teacher and then somehow gets the assignment in. I'm like, yes, got it. A person is you know, praying without wudu and the parents think that they did wudu and you know, by the end they're like, yes, got it. You know, my mom never found out I didn't have wudu when I prayed. Right? And at the time of salah, they put the prayer mats And the parents walk in and they ask, have you prayed? Yeah. Of course. Don't you see the prayer mats? Right? And then they're so happy. You know, I'm so clever. So sharp. I'm so smart. Allah says, don't think that these people are safe from punishment. There's something very scary. Because when a person is able to deceive others, he thinks he's very smart. And he's almost happy over his apparent intelligence. Secondly, وَيُحِبُّونَ And they love and يُحْمَدُوا That they should be praised بِمَا لَمْ يَفْعَلُوا Over something that they have not even done. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to lift a finger. They don't want to put any effort And they still want people to praise them. Praise them for something they haven't done. They love praise. They're seekers of praise. That's what they want. And they don't want to do anything themselves. وَيُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يُحْمَدُوا بِمَا لَمْ يَفْعَلُوا They want to be considered great. They want to be honored and respected by people. They want that people should be in awe of them. People should really think good about them. So basically the whole focus, the entire focus is on what? Pleasing people. Having a good image before them. Displaying a false image of yourself. وَيُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يُحْمَدُوا بِمَا لَمْ يَفْعَلُوا They love the benefits without paying for the price. فَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّهُمْ So never think concerning them. That بِمَفَازَةٍ That at all in a place of فَوْز Mafaza is مَكَانُ الْفَوْز فَوْز فَوَوْزَي So it's the place of being saved from that which is harmful and getting the desired. So don't think at all that they are safe from punishment. بِمَفَازَةٍ مِّنَ الْعَذَابِ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ For them in reality is a painful punishment. What do we learn in this ayah? Warning against being happy over the sins that a person has committed. 
But unfortunately, how do we talk about our past or our present? You know, this happened. You know, I did this. You know, I said this. You know, when I was younger, we would do this. Right? Those of us who become slightly older, this is what we boast about. The mistakes that we have committed in the past or even in our childhood. You know, we talk about them as if there's something to be proud of. As if it's something that should be written in our resume. Something that we should be congratulated for. That you managed to lie to your mom and your mom never found out. Really? Is this an accomplishment? It's a big failure. And we are happy over it. So never talk about your sins happily. Neither to your friends, nor to your family, nor to anyone. We see that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they would remember their past. Okay? But not to boast their sins, not because they were happy about their sins, but to show how merciful Allah was that He guided them. Like the companions, sometimes they would narrate stories about how they would you know, make an idol themselves and then they would eat it up. Because they were hungry. Like they would make it with, you know, dates or something and then they would eat it up because they were hungry. So like they would mention this, not because, you know, I did shirk. No. Not because of that reason. But to show that how merciful Allah has been towards them, that Allah guided them out of that foolish state into a state of living a logical life, a life of tawheed, of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So never be proud of your sins. And don't talk about them happily. Secondly, we also learn in this ayah about the warning against loving to be praised for something that we have not accomplished ourselves. Something that we have not done. And when do you think a person would do this? That he wants to be appreciated or praised for what he has not done. Basically, this is to cover up what a person has left out. Meaning, he should have done something, he didn't do it, he feels guilty about it, so he wants to pretend as though he has done it, and he wants people to praise him for that. Do you see what I mean? He didn't do it in the first place. Okay? Like for example, a person should have gone to school, should have completed their degree, but they never did it, and they feel like a loser, so they pretend as if they have done it, and this is the kind of image they display to the people so that people think that, oh, they're so highly you know, educated and they have this degree and that degree. False image. To cover up what? Their own guilt, their own shortcomings, their own failures. وَيُحِبُّونَ أَن يُحْمَدُوا بِمَا لَمْ يَفْعَلُوا That a person has this feeling of being a failure at something. I don't have a good job, I don't have this much money, I don't have a house, I don't have this, I don't have that. So I'll pretend as though I have it. And then a person wants to be treated by people in that manner. That I am so rich, and I am so educated, and I am so intelligent. So it is to present a false image of piety. To present a false image of excellence. That a person shows that, yeah, I pray a lot, you know. And you know, this last night when I was standing in tahajjud and I was, uh, seriously, you don't have to talk like that. And then when people talk about their deeds, you know, when I went for hajj, you know, the third hajj that I went to, then this happened and that happened. Right? So showing off their good deeds, this is also something that's not good. Tell me some examples of how we make this mistake. 
that we pretend as if we've done something and we haven't done it in reality. That if there is a conversation going on and your friends are talking about something very interesting and you haven't done it or you don't know about it and you're like, yeah, 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 you know, I've done this too. And and then you make up a story right there and people are laughing and they're so impressed by you because you're so cool. And yuhmadu bima lam yaf'alu. Right? They're being praised for something that they have not done, that they do not do. Over-exaggerating your accomplishments. There was a small group in school that got together to organize an event. And then you put on your resume using big words. You know, I have great management skills and organizational skills and I can work in highly stressful situations. A small random group came together, fell apart in two days. And based on that, you are putting such big words in your resume to show that you are some cool dude. Right? Isn't that a lie? You want to be acknowledged for something that you've never done. You're presenting a false image of yourself. Somebody writes an article. All the references are there. And there you go, copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. And at the end you write your own name. Right? And you just put in these big references. You know, I've done so much research, I've done so much reading. And so people think you're so knowledgeable, so intelligent, so smart. That sometimes there's a group project, everyone is responsible for putting their share in. But what happens typically, there are always individuals who don't do what they're supposed to do. And at the end, they love to get the mark. Right? They love to be graded highly for that. وَيُحِبُّونَ أَن يُحْمَدُوا بِمَا لَمْ يَفْعَلُوا And in this ayah we also see that whoever is like this will never be saved from the punishment. Like what? That a person is happy about the wrong that he has done. He loves to be praised even though he has done nothing. Right? And then we also learn in this ayah that if someone has done something good then he should not boast about it. And if he is praised for it if someone praises you for the good that you've done, then at that time, should you become overexcited and you know you cannot even control yourself? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, you look at others and you praise me too. And then you look at your mom and look at your dad and look at your sister. And your brother's always jealous of you, so you don't even look at him. Is this how we should be when somebody praises us for our accomplishments? No. This is a time when we should be humble and fearful. That what if Allah does not accept it? People praise you for what you do in public. Make sure you reprimand yourself for what you do in private. What's going on in the heart. And once you've done something, people can praise you. But just because people are praising you, doesn't mean that Allah has accepted it. Not necessary. So make sure your intention stays straight. You remain humble. وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And to Allah belong the dominion of the heavens and the earth. وَاللَّهُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ And Allah is over all things capable. The entire right of disposal, the authority, the possession, all of this ownership belongs to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of what? Of the heavens and the earth. And He is over everything capable. So when everything is His, then we can only do with His possessions what He wants, what He allows. And when everything is His, when He has so much authority, so much power, then He also has authority and power over us. So let us not be concerned about our image before people. Let's be concerned about our image before 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's listen to the recitation. لا تحسبن الذين يفرحون بما أتوا ويحبون أن يحمدوا بما لم يفعلوا فلا تحسبنهم بمفازة من العذاب ولهم عذاب أليم ولله ملك السماوات والأرض والله على كل شيء قدير